As always, I'm joined by Bryson and Jacob. How are you guys? Doing good. How are you? I'm not bad. What about you, Jacob? I'm doing great, too. It's, it's fun to be back. Yeah, it's been a wild week in Blue Jay baseball. We saw them finally get to Buffalo. We saw a few crazy games in Buffalo. Only four games to talk about this week because we had two off days this week as we record this on Friday. But um, I guess we'll just start things off with the recap of the week before we get to um, some of your questions that you guys submitted. So I, I, I guess the first thing I want to talk about is Wednesday night's game because absolutely wild one, probably one for the for, for the history books for the Blue Jays. They're down 8-0. to zero. They come back. They make it 11-11 with seven home runs, including home runs in six straight innings, two run home runs in four straight innings, and then they lose it in the 10th to the Marlins. Um, absolutely wild game. It was the most offense we've seen from the Blue Jays all season. Um, is it a sign that things are changing for the Blue Jays, that we're going to see the offense you know, return and, and start to be more of a um, consistent producers as the season progresses? Or do you guys think this is just kind of a a one-off, kind of a blip in the radar, and then we'll be back to normal as soon as the Blue Jays, you know, start their road trip again. Now they're heading to Tampa Bay. I, I don't know. I think it is going to start to be more consistent because we've seen that uh, in the first game against the Marlins, Bichette hit a three-run home run, which I think was their first multi-home, uh, multi-run home run since I think opening day or something like that. And then Travis Shaw was hitting in in the tenth. I think that we're probably going to start to see some some more runs. I mean, one thing I think that we can describe this season is inconsistent and but I mean, I think the hitting's probably starting to come around. I think the fact that the Blue Jays hit so many home runs and just so many runs in general on Wednesday is definitely a good sign. Um but yeah, I mean, I'm hoping it's consistent. We saw a lot of the guys that were starting to struggle like uh, Guerrero hit home runs and start to produce uh and i mean obviously the fact that they were down eight to nothing and then they were able to come back from that is definitely good so i think that i'm i'm excited i think that this could uh carry on and i mean with the rays series they are missing a lot of their key starting pitchers so i mean who knows maybe this is the start of something and they're able to take this opportunity and go forward with it and start scoring more runs and hopefully get back to 500 absolutely and um Going back to this week, maybe it all it took was the team just to go to Buffalo to start hitting because before the series in Buffalo, they were just in Boston, and uh, they struggled in Boston. Well, they didn't struggle. They just uh, the, the runs weren't all there as much as um, you know they they won a few and they lost a few. Uh, the first they they won two one one game and then another game they won or they lost five three. So the runs weren't consistent enough, and that's something we've seen throughout the course of the season. But I guess the Buffalo Blue Jays or the Buffalo scene kind of. Uh, Gave them a little bit of a confidence booster. I don't know what you want to call it, but the numbers definitely have been going up. And it started off with um, a few days ago when they, I mean, both both the games against the Marlins did go to extra innings, so they both went to the tenth inning. But uh, the game, the very first game when they won five four in the tenth, uh, very very uh, promising signs to see. Um, it was a good start by Hunjin Ryu as well. He's looking like himself again, and uh, Travis Shaw has also been kind of the leader in the past two games in terms of home runs. But again, the what you said, Mark. The story was a few days ago, which was a which was a wild scene in Buffalo with the team down eight nothing, and they somehow came back. But unfortunately, they um, they they ended up blowing it in extra innings to say the least. And uh, in that game, it was pretty much everybody: Travis Shaw homering, uh, Teoscar Hernandez, who in my opinion has been the most consistent hitter on this team. Uh, Danny Jansen went yard. Uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. went yard. Bo Bichette went yard, and like I said, Shaw went yard twice. And in that game, Bobichet also went five for five. So he's completely, you know, busted out and just on a hot streak right now. His current stats are he's hitting over three fifty two, 
and he's got an OPS over a thousand, a thousand and thirty-four. So he's been the leader of the offense the past two days. But it's good to see the team overall starting to hit better. If it's consistent, I don't know. It's it's only been two games. You have to see more, obviously. But I know I know the Marlins are what they are. But you have to give them credit for getting off to a good start to the season. They're seven and five. So I guess it's something to kind of take away as a positive sign, just because the Marlins are actually playing good baseball, and it's something that when you look at it. Um, it's pretty much necessary for them to, if they want to stay in contention, you know, with the current standings, the Jays are four and a half games back out of first place in the AL East. They're currently six and nine, and uh, they're behind the Baltimore Orioles, the Tampa Bay Rays, and the New York Yankees. So uh, it's it's a competitive start for the AL East, and Jacob, I know um, Tampa Bay has been struggling, but they're also coming off a four-game sweep over the Red Sox, and the Red Sox have been a complete uh, tire fires from the start, so they're already six and 13, and things aren't looking good for them, but... Um, the Jays are only two games better than them. So the Jays still have a lot of work to do. They're still in it. Uh, they're chasing Baltimore, like I said, in Tampa. And uh, they're within three games of both of them. So it's not a huge concern. And they're four games or four and a half games within New York. So they're still in this. And we know the expanded playoffs definitely helps them. But if they want to be anywhere closer to what they are, like we've, we've said, they should be better. But by the way they've been playing, they could also be worse. So it's it's a tough situation when you're evaluating their success because you don't know what you're seeing out of them on a consistent basis. But if they start to be more consistent, I think we're going to get a better look at this team. And the one thing you want to look at now is you want to get the pitching back on track after the past few games. If the hitting's starting to wake up, you want the pitching to start being on their usual ways that they've been on this this season, which has been successful. And uh, yeah, and other than that, uh, that's the only way this team is going to somewhat stay in contention or get better. And maybe the first step would be getting back to 500. Yeah, I don't think you can construe the offensive outburst from Wednesday as a negative in any way. I don't think anyone's trying to do that. Um, I think it is encouraging that, you know, we're seeing these guys who have previously maybe cooled off a little bit starting to heat up. You mentioned Bobichette, those five hits. Um, Travis Shaw is another guy who started the season pretty horribly, you know, was on family medical leave for a few days, but now coming back, hitting better. Um, Randall Grishik is a guy who was missing from the team, not totally hitting yet and we never really saw him totally hit last year but he's a guy who you know if his offense picks up if his production picks up he's going to be another one of those guys who influences the team and that's good I think the only thing that I would hedge my bets on is the fact that a it's only one game you know we did see you know the first multi-run home run as Jacob mentioned from Bo Bichette um, on Tuesday that was the first since opening day um, we did see you know 18 hits seven home runs yesterday or excuse me on Wednesday but at the same time it's seven home runs like we know this team is going to hit a lot of home runs and I'm concerned that they aren't getting more runs without home runs because I think the home run ball can come and go but you can get hits more consistently, and that's what I'm concerned about, if anything. Again, it's a huge victory for this team that even though they did lose the game, and we talked about moral victories before, this is somewhat of a moral victory because they got 11 runs. You know, It's a success in that respect, but I think if we're trying to poke holes in it, I think the amount of home runs, although encouraging, is a little bit concerning just because they're not getting runs elsewhere. You know, I think all of their runs... Um, on Wednesday came from the home run ball because they had seven home runs. Four of those were two run home runs. Um, so I, I, I think that's my one concern about what we saw this weekend or th- this week. Mm, I think uh, also one of the issues, I mean, it was great to see the offense, um, but I think the biggest concern for me was the fact that they had, they allowed six unearned runs versus Miami I th- with mm-hmm. just the fact that you, you look at the, um, the stats from the pitchers, Nate Pearson, I believe it was seven runs charged to him. Only three of them were earned. And you, you just consistently saw that. I think I agree. The, the moral victories, you know, with the home runs, that is definitely a, a really, really good sign. And I'm, you know, that was honestly really crazy to watch. And I'm happy that they were able to do that. But I think probably the biggest thing plaguing them, aside from the fact that they kind of relied on the home run ball there is just the, the errors and the, the, the sloppy play and I think that definitely needs to be looked into and I really hope that you know you the Blue Jays are able to make use of the the time that they have to practice because you know if you're I mean even if you're not in contention you still expect to play baseball but if you know you're you're making all these errors it's just it's 
it's honestly frustrating to watch, and especially we want the Blue Jays to do well. We've said before we think that they can make the playoffs, but, well, maybe maybe not so much anymore, but prior to the season we thought they could, but just the fact that they're making all these errors, it's it's definitely scaring me a little bit. But I think overall, if that gets better, then I think this is this could be a very good team. Yeah, the, the one play that bothered me most, and I'm sure you guys are on board with it, and it felt like I was playing, like it felt like a play where you, you're playing baseball with your friends at a diamond, and like it's something that just happens when you're playing with friends, and it's like not competitive at all. And, and the exact play I'm talking about, which you guys all remember, is when Danny Jansen with the bases loaded through to second base and like a pickoff attempt, and the runner on third, he just completely forgot about the runner on third. I don't know who it was on Miami, but he came in and scored like it was nothing. And it, there was no sort of has it like there was no urgency from any of them um like Kevin Biggio wasn't even on the bag so I don't know whose fault it was with the signal cross up but that play alone summed it up for me in frustration like like how, how is it how, do you, how does an MLB team do that like I, I don't understand what happened there even if it was a miscommunication how do you allow the runner to break for home and how, and before you're even throwing it to second base Danny Jansen how do you not remember or realize that there's a guy on third I don't know what happened there but that's just one out of many, right? We've seen a bunch of base running miscues. Riley Telez has been in a few um, base running miscues. Uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has, and then the, few, the errors everywhere. I just plays like that, like they don't deserve to be anywhere close to contention the way they're playing, like those plays like that defensively. But you know, you hope it's growing pains, and I'm sure it is. But like you know, we've said it so many times in a 60 game season, you can't can't really afford that. Like I don't understand. Like I, I don't I don't know what the heck I was watching in that in terms of that, but you know it's definitely a game that they could have easily won. Like I know the home run is a concern, like you said, because that seems like the way the only way the the runs are coming on this team. But I guess what what it, it was fourteen eleven. You know you assume eleven runs would be enough to win you a game, but um, you know it's, I guess it's just the way modern baseball in terms of a home run or nothing. But uh, definitely some some concern still this week. Um, it's kind of teeter tottered a bit though. Now the pitching's been struggling. And then we've seen the the hitting kind of, you know, produce in the last two games. But this weekend will be a big test for them because, like we said, it's only two games. And now they have an even better team coming to town who just swept the Red Sox in a four-game series. Yeah, that the, that's exactly it. And that's exactly, I guess, why I'm not super excited about it. Because they're still making mistakes. Like, it's not like they're playing perfect baseball. They're still making very stupid mistakes like you mentioned Danny Jansen throwing down to second and just handing Miami a run it happened on numerous occasions over the two games like they're just handing free passes to the other teams and it's just inexcusable like you can't have these run on innings even if it's Nate Pearson on the mound Jacob Wegis pack on the mound I don't care who it is you can't have these run on innings where you keep making mistakes and keep handing the other team runs so even if they do start hitting, even if they, you know, they're scoring 11 runs a game, they're not going to be able to win if they keep making these stupid mistakes and handing the other team runs. So, or or voluntarily taking away runs from themselves if it's a base running mistake or or what have you. So that's where I'm continued to be frustrated about this team. And I have a question about that from one of our listeners later in the episode. But um, again, that's really frustrating. And that's something that this team should be doing better. They shouldn't be making these mistakes. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I think one thing that is concerning is we've said that the Miami game, they should have won. Uh, even prior to this week, there have easily been, you know, four or five games that they have lost just because of these these stupid errors and mismanaging of situations. And and they're six and nine right now, I believe. You know, you take away even half of those games where you've messed up and ended up losing the game because of an error. You know, that could be the difference uh, between where they are right now and the playoffs, you know, or being in a playoff spot. And I think... You know, I think whoever said it, they really don't deserve to be contending right now until they can figure their stuff out because, I mean, I don't really want to watch, you know, playoff baseball just to be completely frustrated by watching this team just not seem to... I don't want to say that they don't care, but I just... I I don't want to see these sloppy plays, especially if, you know, the games get meaningful. You can't go to a division series and just give away a run because you you can't bank on scoring 11 runs a game you have to rely on every aspect of the team coming to play and you know I like I said I really it, it's so frustrating and I, I feel like 
one of the issues is maybe they focused so much on hitting because they were not scoring a lot of runs prior to this week, even really this week until the Miami game. But I, I feel like the rest of it kind of got neglected in the fact that they need to pursue this offense and try to make it better, which... I mean, there still is time to improve, but like we said, with a 60-game season, time was running out after the first game. You you really don't have a lot of time to figure your stuff out, especially if back on July 24th, you thought you could be a playoff team. You really, you don't have the time to mess things up. They they just, they can't, and it's just, it's definitely frustrating to watch. Yeah, the thing is, too, it's it's something new every every week. Like, we, we started things off with, the question of Charlie Montoyo and his bullpen management and all of that. And then it transitions to the offense being horrible. Now it transitions to the fielding errors, the base running errors, and then the past uh, few games as well as that, you can add on the pitching struggles. So that's the thing too. It's like there's something new every single week uh, that, you know, once they fix one thing or once they get better at one thing, this thing falls apart or something else needs work, you know, uh, needs improvement. So hopefully this can end soon and hopefully – um, you know everything can get back on track, but you know we know that we know the way this team is. We know that they have a much higher ceiling than what they're playing with. We've seen flashes of it. We haven't seen it consistently, but you can also argue that they could be in a worse spot and they could be better at what they are because of all the games they've single-handedly lost. Going back to July 24th at uh, Tropicana Field, there's been just so many things, and uh, each week that we were talking, it's something new. Like we said, it started with. It's just each week it gets, it's something different, and you hope that this can end soon and we can start talking about this team being consistent, maybe getting back to 500, maybe being a few games out of a playoff spot, and you know you hope that's where we are, and you hope that most of the team is starting to hit in the lineup as well. Yeah, it, it just feels like this team is, I guess, in some ways, like fighting forest fires. They're going from one fire to the next, and you never actually put out the entire thing um, because once you put out one, there's another fire to deal with. So that, that's kind of what it feels like right now and and that's not to say that they won't be able to put it together I think they will because as we mentioned they have a lot higher ceiling than how they're playing but uh so far we haven't seen that from them but I mentioned earlier one of the questions I got from one of our listeners uh for our mailbag the three of us put out feelers on our Instagram for questions in terms of doing a mailbag today so all of us have our own questions but I guess I can start things off with that question that I mentioned it's from Ed S Um, he asked are the Blue Jays problems in terms of fielding in terms of making these base runner mistakes in terms of handing other teams runs are these problems just growing pains or are they a lack of fundamentals being taught by the coaches so is it a problem with the coaching with the Blue Jays or is it just a factor of the age of these players and the fact that they're new to the majors and the fact that they were in some ways sped through the minors to get them to the majors. So which side of the line do you fall on on that? You, you could see it from both ways, but if I have to choose one side, it's definitely growing pains because in terms of, you know, let's just say you want to argue the other side and lack of fundamentals from the coaching, um, you know, there's just certain plays or certain things where, you know, I, obviously there's expectations from management, there's expectations from the coaching staff, but like, you know, going back to the example I said it on Wednesday, uh, when Danny Jansen threw to second base with the bases loaded, like that's something that, you know, just by experience of even playing like little league or playing in school, like that's something that you should be um, having have in your head, you know, regardless of what you're being told from coaching. I just think some of these mistakes are too stupid enough for it to be like a lack of fundamentals from the coaching. That's where I don't blame the coaching. And you can see how frustrated it is. Like Charlie Montoyo is very, it, very rarely do you see him call out uh, players or show any frustration, but you've been seeing it over the past few weeks uh, just because of everything that they've been through in terms of losing games late, unfortunately. But when you, I, I want to lean more to the side of just of gro- growing pains. And regardless of how young they are, you know, if they were rushed through the minors or, you know, if, if this is something more to come, you can't afford that right now, unfortunately. And, uh, you know, I, I hope they know that and maybe they do know that. Maybe they're overthinking it. Maybe it's a lot of pressure because of where they are and where they stand and the circumstances of the season. But, if I had to choose one of the two sides, it would definitely be um, a lot. It would definitely be just growing pains, and I'm unfort- And again, we don't know how long this could last. This could be going for another few days, a few weeks. It could go on for the rest of the season, for all we know. And the you know, for them to make the playoffs, we've said it. Th- this needs to stop. And you know, none of us even have an answer to when that could possibly be. But it's definitely more a growing pains than lack of fundamentals from the coaching, just because. 
you know, I think the, the mistakes they making are making are just, you know, I think they're just not smart enough or they're just too stupid enough um, for the coaching, you know, for lack of fundamentals from the coaching because that's something every ball player should know. Just common sense like that, base running miscues. The errors are come and go with everybody, obviously, but uh, I, don't, I don't blame the coaches as much as I blame, you know, growing, uh, growing pains from the players. Yeah, I don't think it's fair to necessarily say it's the coach's fault because one thing I thought about last night is, you know, when you look at the the fact that the team is making this many errors, it's not like they are new to the game of baseball. They might be new to Major League Baseball, but, you know, you look at a guy like Bo Bichette, who I'm not saying that he's been bad. I'm just off the top of my head. The fact that his dad was so prominent with Major League Baseball when he grew up. So, it, you know, he's been around it all his life. Same with Guerrero. Same with all these guys. And even if they didn't have a dad that played in the majors, there's still guys that have been playing for a large portion of their lives. So I don't think you can really say that, you know, it's Charlie Montoyo's fault that Rowdy Telez ran when he shouldn't have or that Danny Jansen threw. I think definitely after that happens, if it continues to happen, then you can say, well, okay, why are you not scolding this guy after the game? But for now, I think it's more just on the players and this is just growing pains. Uh, It's definitely an inexcusable growing pain. I don't think that you can say that "Eh, it's okay. Danny Jansen or this player is new. So it's okay. If they make an error, it's still awful and it should not happen. But I think unfortunately with a rebuild and with such a young team, anything's possible. So we kind of have to blame the players in a little bit or in its entirety because it, like I said, it's not necessarily fair to say that you as a manager are the are at fault because your players are doing stupid things. Like I said, if it ha- keeps happening in the future, especially into next season, then you can say, okay, well, why are you not stepping up and stopping this? But at the same time, as of right now, I think it's just more on the players who need major league experience. And I mean, I, I've noticed this too, like just throughout the things that I've, you, you know, gone through there's always things that you know if you're playing or you're doing something that you are new at there's always you're always going to learn along the way and I think you know being in these situations having Danny Jansen throw that ball when he really shouldn't have like I said although inexcusable I think uh, going forward he will definitely learn that you know oh actually I can't do that and it'll kind of stick in his head more because he did it at the major league level and everybody kind of is magnifying your mistakes but yeah I think it's just it's just unfortunate growing pains it's not the growing pains that I think anybody expected but I like I said you can't really blame the the coaches it's the, it's not necessarily on them right now yeah um I think I'm right with you guys in terms of not blaming the coaches although I'm not sure how much of it is just an experience and growing pains because like we've seen guys like Yes, Rowdy Telez, he's more of an experienced major leaguer. Danny Jansen has been in the majors since 2018. But also guys like Matt Shoemaker make errors and stuff like that. That makes me think, okay, maybe this isn't just growing pains, although it's certainly not coaching. I think it's just players trying to do too much. And we've heard Buck Martinez talk about this on the broadcast. He's been saying that, you know, the Blue Jays didn't score more than three runs in a ball game for like two weeks. I think it was July 30th to August 11th or 12th that they didn't score more than three runs in a ball game. When you have that and the pitching is doing so well, you're going to want to produce and you're going to want to push the, 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 the envelope and, and, and be better to produce more runs to get wins for your club. So I think it's just a fact of the players that are in this spot. They see the lack of offensive production and they're trying to do anything they can to get more runs. And in a lot of cases, it's hurting the Blue Jays. I think Danny Jansen, over-eager, throwing to second, you have a run come home. You give up a run to the Marlins. You have Rowdy Telez, over-eager, trying to stretch a single into a double. Or Vladimir Guerrero Jr. trying to advance to second on third on the relay throw. They're just over-eager. They're trying to produce runs where they shouldn't be trying to produce runs. And that's what's happening. And yes, that's partially growing pains. For older players, for more experienced players, you're going to realize... Hey, we don't have to do that. We're going to, you know, to some extent, sit back, still try to push runs in, still try to work on our stuff, but also, you know, not try to push it too much to the to the point where it's detrimental to the team. So, yeah, I think certainly not coaching, but partially growing pains 
and partially players just being too eager. But uh, I don't know if, Bryson, you want to kick it off with another question. Yeah, I can do that. Um, so I got about four questions about the same topic, so I, I'll kind of combine them all, and, you know, maybe after one I'll kind of, like, do an add-on or, like, a follow-up with you guys. And uh, this is this is pretty much one of the spicy meatballs of the season so far. We've already we've spoken about it a lot of times, and um, you know I guess all of us have more. You know some of us have more of a uh, you know diff- we all have the similar opinions, but some of us are more to the extent with us. So let me let's let's get this going. So uh, let's start this off with a, a question. Okay, so two qu- questions from um, Matt Davis sixteen and Derek eighty three. So they're both similar. So let's and even Hunter Sell. So I'll give those three guys a shout out. And I'll kind of read all their questions in a one. So uh, here it is. So pretty much, what are your what's your opinion on Charlie Montoyo, um, and how have you found his handling of the bullpen so far? And yeah, well, let's let's start with that, and I'll do a follow up. I don't. I mean, early on in the season, I feel like he was making a lot of errors, and I think the the fact that he would leave guys in beyond the the length that they should have been in definitely proves that he didn't necessarily handle the bullpen properly. I think as the the seasons progressed, he's definitely settled down a little bit. I mean, the bullpen has definitely been better with uh I mean, we saw Ken Giles get injured I think what was like the second game of the season and who was it? Anthony Bass has taken over as kind of the closer until then and he's he's gone straight to him. He's not really made a second thought. I mean, he he has had one blown save, but you know, I, I don't think you can necessarily blame Charlie Montoyo for that, but I, I don't know. I think he's definitely getting better. I think also we have to take into consideration that is this new three batter rule where you can't, you have to put in a pitcher for at least three batters or the end of an inning. So you can't just throw him in to start the inning and take him out after the next hitter. Uh, so, I mean, I think he definitely needs to kind of work with that a little bit more, but I don't know if you can necessarily say because of this new rule, that it's okay to make errors, but I think he's definitely settling down like a tiny bit. Um, I mean, the pitching definitely has been better, so I mean, we can give him kind of the benefit of the doubt there, but I think overall, it's been getting a little bit better, and I mean, the Blue Jays, if they when they're losing games, it's not necessarily because he single-handedly messed it up. It's more of, you know, he put it... I mean, I, I, I still question putting Dolis in against the Marlins in the 10th, but at least it's not like you can say that Dolis gave up a home run. It was more he he made the error, so it's more on him rather than than the manager. But I, I don't know. I think it it's getting better, but at the same time, the results are still not necessarily the same, or they are the same. They're not necessarily winning, but I don't know. It, I, I think it it's definitely trending upwards, but I just I don't know necessarily how much of an upward trend it's been. But yeah, I mean, hopefully it gets better. I mean, hopefully with Ken Giles, if he comes back or when he comes back, the, the Blue Jays can work around him more. But I, I don't know. For now, I'd say it's it's a little bit better. Yeah, it, it's definitely improved. I think the burden on this team has shifted from Charlie Montoyo to the players in the fact that we saw Charlie Montoyo making mistakes earlier this year, and now the players are the one making the mistakes. But Montoyo still, at the start of the season, some of those problems with the bullpen were inexcusable. We talk about Ken Giles. We talk about putting in Sam Gaviglio, who's a long guy. We talk about other instances of putting in long guys where they don't belong. You know, it's not rocket science to understand where these guys belong and where they fit in terms of back end of the bullpen, front out of the bullpen, long relievers, short relievers, high leverage, low leverage guys. That much isn't rocket science. I understand it's early in the season. You're not sure what arms you want to go to and what situations. But when you're talking about using a guy like, I don't know, Jacob Wagaspak, Shun Yamaguchi in a high leverage situation, that's not their job. Their job is to pitch, you know, two, three innings, get you know, 6, 9, 12 outs, carry the team when your starter doesn't go long enough or when you have an opener or when you have a starter like Chase Anderson who's only going to go three innings because he's coming back from his from the from the injured list. So I, I'm really was disappointed at the start of the season with Montoyo with those decisions. And, um, you know, I think it's changed my mind about him. Before, I was kind of fully approving of him. I guess I didn't watch enough games last year to really – see him because I, I think I speak for all of us 
wasn't totally tuned in last year with how the Blue Jays were doing. But this season has enlightened me a little bit. I'm not totally on board with Montoyo. That's not to say he isn't having his own growing pains as a young manager. He can't improve. He can't learn as a manager. Um, but I, I certainly was disappointed earlier in the season. We're seeing better things now, so um, I think I'll wait and see and see how the rest of the year goes. Yeah, it's 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 the part of being an inexperienced manager, and we've gone over. I've gone over this with you guys, and another part of me for all those for you know other questions saying. You know, for that I've gotten, you know, from people like Matt Davis, 16, or um, what, what's, what's the other one? Sorry. Um, just forget it. There's a, there's a lot of people who've sent, you know, what are the chances of him being replaced at the end of the, uh, end of the year? You know, what has to change for them to win late games? And then people like name dropping uh, managers like Alex Cora or even AJ Hinch. Uh, I think we're, I don't think we're anywhere close to them moving on from Charlie Monto. And I'm, I'm still a full believer in that, regardless of, how he's handled the bullpen or the growing pains he may be going through, uh, at the at you know the growing pains that he's been going through this year. This year, this is the guy that they brought in for John Gibbons, and uh, I think they're committed to this guy for multiple years. And he's only been here for you know a, a, not even two years yet. If you want, you know, t- not even two years. And I think he's got a lot of time left here. But you know the you know we we know the miscues he made at the beginning of the year, and the part that bothers me, and it's still happening. Maybe it's not as much as his fault anymore, but. All the times they either lose in the 10th inning or the times they get walked off. Because it feels like they get walked off every single game. And it finally felt good for them to walk off Miami uh, in the home opener or home away, whatever you want to call it, in Buffalo. So that definitely felt good. But they're always, whenever the game goes to extra innings now, you just, it, there's like no hope for them to win the games anymore. They've already lost about, I want to say, like four or five times in extra innings. It feels like they've lost so many games in extra innings. And Jacob, I understand the three batter rule could be, you know, um, difficult to manage or, you know, strategize, but, uh, he's not the only one going through this, right? There's 29 other managers and they seem to be doing, actually, it's not fair to me to say they're doing a better job because I guess we're not as focused or tuned in, uh, to what they're doing. And, you know, every team's different in terms of their skill and their record and their expectations, but you know, that's no excuse. There's no excuse to, you know, do that multiple times in the first few weeks of the season and lose games that, you know, that could cost them at the end. Uh, but when you look back on it, but I, I, I just don't know, um, how much longer this can go up, but it has been getting better, obviously, over the past couple of weeks. But he's he's in here for the long haul, regardless of what you guys think, and that's my personal opinion. And I just I I, I like him, Charlie Montoya, because I think he's good in the clubhouse with the players. But the managing skill set is obviously somewhat of a different story. Um, he's going. He's just. I think it's just the part of being an inexperienced manager, regardless of how long he's been in the major leagues as a, a coach. But when you look at it too, the Blue Jays bullpen, it doesn't really have a lot of, I mean, I don't want to like harm on anybody, but you know, a lot of the players in the bullpen aren't exactly trustable or trusting, trustworthy of putting in games late. So that's the one thing I feel bad for him for, but you know, they, they have been, they've had uh, good players to begin with, or uh, they've had a lot of relievers who have actually been playing well, other than a few days ago with Anthony Bass, he's been pitching well. He's got a 386 ERA. Jordan Romano has been perfect with his zero ERA. AJ Cole's been perfect with his zero ERA. Rafael Dallas, his ERA is creeping up to five now, which is a little concerning. Anthony Kay and Ryan Barucki have been sharp out of the bullpen. Both of them ERAs below one one and a half. Uh, Barucki's actually perfect still. Waggis back's been good as a long man, and Hatch has been, you know, he's been doing his job as well as three thirty eight ERA. But the thing, all the thing that all those guys or most of those guys relate to. And Mark, we you you've said this the most out of all of us is that these are long these are long guys out of the bullpen and these are different roles um, in terms of where they come in in the game, regardless or in comparison to people like Jordan Romano, Anthony Bass, Rafael Dallas, or Wilmer Font even or even AJ Cole. It's all and they all have different roles on the team. But the, I guess you know most of the most of the long men of the bullpen are doing well. But it's just it's definitely a tough situation. But um, I'm I think Charlie Montoya was in here for the long haul and. I just think it's got to be growing pains as a manager, but I don't know how much longer we can say that as an excuse. But um, yeah, I just, I don't know what else is going to happen, but I think he's done a good job over the past two weeks. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I definitely agree. And moving on, uh, I got a question. I got a bunch of questions actually kind of saying the same thing. Now it's, it's kind of hard to answer because, you know, it's kind of just on our opinions, but a lot of people, but I'll just 
say the first one I saw was from Brian Ch- uh, Chow, I think is how you pronounce it. But he said, when do you think Vladdy will break out? Now, I think that's, like I said, probably very tough to answer, but I saw a lot of questions. So, I mean, I think maybe we can at least address it and give our opinions. So, yeah, I mean, what do you guys think? It's it's a tough situation, but yeah, I just I want to hear what you guys have to think for that. Um, to be honest with you, and to be honest to uh, Brian who asked the question, I don't know. Um, I thought this year was the breakout year, and it still could be the breakout year, but Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has gotten off to a similar start in which he played last year in terms of you know, his lack of fundamentals at the plate. Uh, you know, we the one thing about him is he hits a lot of ground balls. He does. He hits a lot of ground balls, and he gets out a lot. He strikes out a lot. You know, there's been talk of his batting stance being off, his balance has been off, and I don't know if that has anything to do with his weight or his conditioning or even his mental focus, but I'm a little bit concerned, but it has been good over the past couple of games. He has been heating up a bit, um, you know, based off of his stats that I looked at yesterday, his year, his OPS is now creeping up to 700, which is a lot better and more promising. Uh, I guess around 700 would be kind of like the cutoff point in terms of being mediocre to good. Um, it could be a lot better, but he's definitely getting up there. His numbers are definitely on, slowly on the rise. Um, he's still not getting on base enough. It's still his on base percentage is 286, so well below 300 in terms of what could be acceptable as well at the major league level. But the strikeouts are definitely concerning. He's top three on the team in terms of strikeouts. He struck out 11 times. He's only has four walks, and um, he's had he's he's had 63 plate appearances. So he's had quite a few at bats. And uh, I was one at the beginning of the year to say this would be a breakout season for him. It still can, like I said, but it hasn't gone off to a good start. And if it hasn't gone off to a good start now, uh, I think I'm done predicting him when he's going to break out. And I'm not necessarily saying he'll be a bust or he never will break out because I do think that there's a chance he still could break out. But it's just one of those things where, like, I mean, Mark, unless you have a completely different opinion from mine, I just, I really don't have a firm timetable or, like, enough knowledge to know where he is at his development because they're definitely working on him a lot and we know that they have and I mentioned all the like the tweaks he's making to his mechanics but you know there's a position change he's making errors as well there's base running miscues you know he's he may be one too going back to your point Mark that's trying to do too much and I know it's kind of unfair to us because we were the ones that said and Mark I'm going to quote you for saying this you said you know pretty much all of us said we or expected him to be the second coming of Christ and I think you were bang on with that because it was true with the expectations, and I think the expectation level has a lot to do with um, our disappointment with him. And like I said, or you know, like we all said, he could easily turn into a player where you know he just becomes an average to good major league player, and there's nothing wrong with him for that. You know, he has a role in this team. There's no question about that. But uh, I, you know, it's something where you have to see it to kind of understand or get the feeling that he's going to be breaking out. We've seen flashes, but unfortunately. Even going back to last season, we haven't seen enough consistency to say, okay, this is the Vladimir Guerrero Jr. that we saw in the minors, and this is the Vladimir Guerrero Jr. that is expected to be better than his father, because that's even what some people were saying, and this is the Vladimir Guerrero Jr. that we are expecting to be at his peak, and we haven't seen that yet, and maybe his ceiling is this, but it's just still too early to know. I know we're in year two, but we are in a 60-game season, so maybe it'd be unfair to judge this year. I think we get, to be honest with you now, based off of what I've seen, I think we got a better understanding going into next season, maybe maybe, maybe midway through 2021 to know exactly what player he will be. Yeah, um, like you guys said, I think it's impossible to pinpoint when it'll happen, if it'll happen. It's like trying to predict where lightning is going to strike. You have some indication because, you know, there are higher points, um, but you really have no idea. So I, I think that's where we're at. If I had to pick a time, I'd say next season. Because I think, you know, he's making the transition to first basis here. He's making partially a transition to designated hitter. It's a tough time for him. And it's a weird season. And, you know, he's still getting his footing in the majors. So I don't think it's going to happen this season. Although his numbers are looking a lot better than, you know, they were in the first week of the season. He's still hitting a lot of balls on the ground. He's still having struggles. He's still striking out a lot, like Bryson said. So I don't think it's going to come this year. If I had to pick a point, I'd say next year. Yeah, I think, honestly, it is a lot tougher to predict with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And I think the harder part, is we've all said, is the fact that we had such high expectations for him. I remember last April, I believe it was, when I heard that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. got called up 
and he's going to start at third base or wherever he started that game, I said to myself, wow, this is like this is probably the biggest day in Toronto sports since in terms of prospects coming up since Austin Matthews was drafted. You know, this is this is the guy that they expect to be their number one player. And to not have that happen, at least not yet, is it's concerning. At the, but at the same time, I think our expectations were so high that, you know, even if he were to make one error or in a game, I feel like I, some people might get a little bit concerned. You know, it's because it's just when you expect so much to not get that or, you know, anything close to that is a little bit worrisome. And one thing I wrote last night, but I don't necessarily know if I want to agree with it or not. I said, I wrote that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. was a top prospect for a reason. And I know that eventually he will break out. Um, One thing that I also kind of see is there's, I don't think that he'll necessarily want to sit down on the bench and watch guys like Bichette and Teoscar Hernandez and all these other guys have really good offensive seasons and not want some of that spotlight. And hopefully that that's kind of a motivation or gives him some motivation to play better. Um, I, I know if it was me and I had my teammates doing so well and I wasn't doing so well, I would definitely want to match them or at least be better than them. Um, but I think o- overall, like you said, Mark, I think maybe next season will be kind of the real, the, the true indication of what we have, at least, you know, hopefully, unless he completely surprises us in a couple years' time, but I think if by next year he is, you know, a little bit better than what he is right now, or even the same, then maybe we'll kind of know that, okay, maybe he's not going to be the top player that we thought he was, but hopefully, as the seasons evolve, he will do a lot better and, you know, realize that, hey, this isn't the minors anymore where people are just going to give you fastballs. You know, these are major league hitters that have a lot more pitcher pitches and they're going to, they're going to pitch hard uh, in bad locations that will get them strikes or a good location for them, but a bad location for you. So he's going to need to learn to hit those breaking balls down and away or down and in or something like that. And I think that as the seasons progress and as he starts to see that, hey, my teammates have adjusted completely fine when it came when they came up to the majors I think that will definitely help him but it's tough I really I really do want him to be a really good player I think everybody does we expected that but I mean hopefully within the next little bit because you also got to realize it's not like they have him forever and if he's not the greatest player for three plus seasons you know if he's just an average player well then that's you know, who knows what what's going to happen. And if they end up, I don't want to say that they'll get rid of him, but who knows what will happen. And it's just, it, it's a tough situation that I really hope by next year they have kind of their indication and he is able to put the work in. Because, I mean, I remember back coming into spring training, he said he had done a lot of working out. And then after the season or the, the preseason was kind of postponed and they had such a long break, People had said that he kind of looked the same as he did back last April than he did this January or this February. So hopefully, as the season progresses and a normal off season uh, takes place, he will go back in and work out and hopefully come back as a guy that is ready to play and is ready to hit the way we expected him to. We've got another question here from Tucker Finch. It's a good one, so thank you to Tucker. Um, he asked Ryan Brucky, Anthony K, Thomas Hatch. Out of those three, who becomes a starter and who stays in the bullpen long-term for the Blue Jays? So you got three guys, Brucky, K. Hatch, this season all have consistent roles in the bullpen for the Blue Jays. Thomas Hatch got a start or at least an opener position earlier this year. Um, which of those three guys or who of those three guys do you see moving to the rotation? Who do you see staying in the bullpen as the Blue Jays move forward in their plans over the next few years? Um, since, uh, we, I've, you know, all signs have been pointing in terms of his health, all clear in terms of how he's performed. Uh, the guy that I will say, even though this is actually a tough, this is a definitely a tough question. That's a really good question. Um, I'm going to say Ryan Barucki. I think he's the guy that moves to the rotation eventually. Um, and again, it barring any health concerns or setbacks, um, 
I just think he's the best man for the job. Um, he's he's pitched in five games or made five appearances out of the bullpen. Each appearance about you know one inning. He's pitched five innings. Um, he's got like I said, he's been perfect with a zero ERA. He's got a WHIP under one. It's at .60, and that's you know that's pretty damn good if you ask me. And I, his hits per nine is down to one point eight. So everything, all signs point to um, him being the best man for the job statistically. Uh, and you know he's got better advanced numbers as well over Anthony Kay and Thomas Hatch. But Thomas Hatch was kind of a starter just because of what happened with, um, or he was the one I believe that was starting for Nate Pearson before they called him back up for the service time. And like you said, Mark, it wasn't even a long start. It was just a um, kind of an opener. He only made one start. And then the rest have been out of the bullpen. You know, Anthony Kay, I just think, is the odd man out. But he's definitely somebody that long-term, or maybe, you know, down the road, not even this season, that could eventually jump into the rotation even next year. But if I had to pick one guy even this year, or going into 2021, I think Ryan Barucki's the guy. And I just think he's got the best uh, repertoire and the best mechanics in terms of being that guy. And, I, you know, he's looked really impressive out of the bullpen so far. I got a question about that as well. You know, I've, you know, how impressed have we been with him? You know, he's like he based off the numbers, he's been perfect, and he's the guy, in my opinion, that comes or before Thomas Hatcher, Anthony K, to be a starter next on this team. Yeah, I, w- I think I would have said Anthony K, but in terms of who do I think the Blue Jays would pick, I think it would be Ryan Barucki. I, I agree with all you guys. He hopefully he can stay healthy. I mean, he he I think has benefited from the extended break before the season started. So, I mean, hopefully that these injuries, the issues with him, I don't want to say that they're over because, I mean, anything can happen, but hopefully he's consistent. And, I mean, if he can stay in the league and pitch, you know, every couple days or whatever they want, if they want to have him start, then I'm on board with that. I think it's a really good question, honestly, and it's a good... I don't want to say it's a problem, but it's a good thing to have to have all these guys and to kind of pick and choose who you want to do or take on these specific roles. And I think um, it's I think that Ryan Barucki definitely is the guy that the Blue Jays are more set on. He's been playing with them since uh, I believe 2018. He was brought up or brought onto the team. So, I mean, I think that's the guy that they are more set on. And I mean, the fact that he is a lefty and I mean, that definitely benefits him. I mean, I believe Anthony K. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not like that necessarily makes him better than them, but I think, you know, having another lefty in the bullpen is definitely a good thing. And I think they're a little bit more set on him rather than Anthony K and Thomas Hatch, which I mean, if they want to pitch out of the bullpen, if they, you know, say they want to start Anthony K, but they just don't have room in the bullpen, he could easily be a long man. And that's definitely, you know, another good thing to have. And, but I think overall, they're more set on Ryan Barucki. I got to disagree with you guys. I'm going with Anthony K here because Ryan Barucki, you talked about it, Bryson. This season, he's been used in one-inning situations. He hasn't really really been pitching as a long guy out of the bullpen, whether that's product of you know his health, as we talked about, whether it's product of his pitches, where the Blue Jays see him. He's been used in one-inning situations, whereas Anthony Kay has been used more of a long guy out of the bullpen. He has pitched three games this season. Um, His first game, he went 2.2 innings. Second game, two innings. His third game, which was a really great appearance, I think we all remember it, against Boston. He went 3.1 innings, only gave up two hits, no walks, three three strikeouts, lowered his ERA to 1.13. I think just judging by the way that Charlie Montoyo has been using Anthony Kay, has been using Ryan Barucki, I think I'm leaning towards Kay because Kay has been used as a long guy and he's been very successful in that role. Barucki has been used as a one-inning guy. He's been very successful in that role. So I don't know how much the Blue Jays want to change things up. When it comes to Thomas Hatch, honestly, I don't think he's that much a part of the Blue Jays future equation at least in the rotation I think the rotation years down the line if you look you know three years down the line you have Ryu still in there if he's fingers crossed healthy you have Pearson obviously plugging away and then I think the last three spots are up to debate maybe Simeon Woods Richardson is in there I think Anthony Kay is certainly one of those guys who's going to be in there and I think Ryan Brucky is also going to be in there. I just think Anthony K gets the rotation spot before Barucki does get it. So if I was, you know, spitballing what the rotation's going to look like years down the line, that's what I would choose. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised down the road 
um, they start to stretch out Barucki a little bit more. But you know, one thing you can argue with that is that they're kind of easing Barucki back in a in a in a swing and into play. Um, we know the health concerns. We know he was shut down this year. He was pretty much out all of last year. And I just think this is something where they're taking a staggered approach and slowly building him back up. I could be wrong, but I, you know, we, we know that he's meant to be a starter. And I guess, you know, the one inning thing, in my opinion, is a good way to get him back. But if you really want to compare them or really, you know, if they want to some, you know, somewhat compare them in terms of who would be a better fit, I think Barucki eventually becomes a long man. And I wouldn't be surprised if he does. Or, you know, maybe the Jays just make him a one-inning guy this year. But I do, I do think next spring will have a lot to play in it as well. But I just think a, a reason for Barucki not pitching as much is because of the health uh, concerns and they're being very, um, you know, they're being very uh, cautious with him. But Anthony Kay has impressed as well. I just, you know, Barucki has better numbers and he's pitched three innings less than Kay. So I guess you can argue a smaller sample size. But Barucki's been, uh, other than, you know, nothing else other than incredible. Okay, uh, I will go to the next question. And pretty much, you know, uh, let's see, sad age five, um, asked for the chances of the Blue Jays making the playoffs. I won't, I will, we'll do that quickly. I'll just say, um, you recap what we all think just to give you know, answer his question somewhat. We all are kind of cautiously optimistic, but not overly optimistic. Um, it's going to be a lot tougher the, the way they've been playing as well. So, you know, we're not too confident that it will happen, unfortunately, but never say never. And going to the next question. Um, Max and fifty five oh two says, "What bigger name uh, trade targets should should or could the Blue Jays target this offseason?" So as you guys uh, look at the free agent list, um, I'll kind of start things off to give you guys a little uh, some time to look. Um, first of all, it's it's a pretty tough situation to be in, and it's a lot of uncertainty. Uh, first of all, the trade market as well. I don't I don't know what the demand is anyway for trades other than you know depth pieces or small things, but when you want to look at it um, from a Blue Jays perspective, the first thing I would look at is first of all signing Ryan. Um, sorry, signing Ken Giles back. Uh, he's one that going back to last year that I think that should be on this team. Uh, I don't think he should be traded. I don't think he'll be traded now, especially with the injury. Even if they the Jays wanted to maybe pursue that path, I think Ken Giles is well. We all know he's the best player in the bullpen right now, and we all know that he has a big role on this team. He's their closer, and I think it all can start with you know in terms of a successful offseason signing him back and I think that you know there's a future for him here I think he wants to be here and I think the you know I think Ross Atkins and Mark Shapiro also are willing to bring him back and I think there's mutual interest for that to happen um, and in terms of the rest of the free agent market or I guess I can still start with the Blue Jays free agents um, let's the for the Blue Jays free agents other than that you know there's not a lot of free agents that are going out this uh, winter uh, some big names would be uh, Matt Shoemaker, Joe Panic, Anthony Bass, so they're all on one-year deals, and who knows if they're back next year. It's They could easily not be back. You know, Shoemaker could be an odd man out because the Jays want to get younger, and in terms of what we just uh, talked about, there's Anthony Kay, there's Ryan Barucki, there's Thomas Hatch, all in the mix to probably be on this, the rotation next year. And if you want to look at the rest of baseball, it's not a very strong free agent market this year. Um, in terms of who's made the most money, the top player who will be on the, the market this year will be Masahiro Tanaka, who is on the New York Yankees. Uh, I'll just say the top five in terms of salary. Shinsu Chu on Texas. Jordan Zimmerman, who is a starter on Detroit. Yoannis Cespedes, who will not get a lot of money next year anyway because of him opting out. He'll get a one-year deal somewhere. I, maybe the Jays go down that path, I, but I, I doubt it. Jeff Samarja, so, and even I, Mike Leake. So, the, 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 you know, they're not big names. You know, they're not big names. And I don't think this free agent market is necessarily a high demand for the Jays to go out of their way to pursue or, you know, make additions. I think they like the core they have now. And if they are going to make a, um, if they are going to make um, a big, you know, addition, it'd probably be depth pieces. You know, Josh Reddick, uh, Yuli Gurriel, Loris Gurriel Jr.'s brother, uh, a lot of the Astros and uh, George Springer. So I don't think the Jays will be make, you know, actively pursuing anyone strongly this winter. Maybe they can make a trade, but to begin with the free agent market's not strong to strong at all. And I think that, you know, step one would be signing Ken Giles back. Yeah, I I kind of agree with you there. I mean, the Ken Giles thing is a must, in my opinion. Yes, Anthony Bass has been good, but A, he's a free agent also. But I think Ken Giles is the guy to close. He was going to be the guy, and I think even when he comes back, he will be the guy. And I think that everybody, any Blue Jays fan would really agree. But also, I, I mean, I really don't know who they should go. I think 
this they're kind of in this weird spot where like they have such a high ceiling and you know going into next next season they could be really good even with no additions or at least be good enough to make the playoffs uh so i really don't know i feel like what's going to end up happening is if the blue jays are good next year they're going to kind of do a bunch of trades at the deadline or at least one trade to make them a better team kind of like 2015 although minus the uh, the offseason additions i i think they're kind of set they have their infield they have their outfield they have two catchers and danny jansen and reese mcguire they obviously have two tops pitcher top starting pitchers in nate pearson and hunjin ryu um if they sign ken giles they have their closer so i think you know like you said maybe some depth pieces maybe you know you, you bring back anthony bass or you you do something to kind of just keep the depth there so that if something were to happen and, you know, Guerrero or whoever can't play, they have a guy that can take over. Um, but, yeah, I really don't know what's going to necessarily happen. And, I mean, it's such a weird situation this year where, say, they do become a 500 team at the end of the year or even greater than 500. You know, it because it was only 60 games, now I know, you know, you can't say, oh, it was only 60 games, so the season's a write-off. But at the same time, it's it's so difficult to kind of say, you know, to, to translate success between this year and years prior. So I feel like, just given the whole situation, I don't really think they're going to be overly active this offseason. Next offseason, I think it'd be a different story if they are, like I said, good, or if they are 500 or above. Definitely expect some trades or some signings or, you know to actively pursue somebody maybe maybe not as big as the uh the Ryu signing but you know they're going to do something I think to improve their team but I think right now like you said Bryson I think they are kind of set on their core and they expect these guys to be the ones that will be the next generation of of Blue Jays and I I think that for now it's not really going to be they're not really going to have much of a change in terms of that but next season next uh next trade deadline next off season even in the future i think we'll see a lot of deals or at least something to make a few changes and a few additions but as for right now i really am not entirely sure if they want to go out and do anything yet because who knows maybe some guy breaks out next year uh because they didn't make us uh, make a a trade for a guy that was supposed to be in that position now obviously that is a very hard thing to predict you know you can't say that oh i'm not going to make this trade because i'm expecting the starting right fielder or whatever to to break out next year i mean that's kind of impossible to do but like i said I, I think they're in a weird spot where they have the guys that they think they will do well for them so they're not really going to do anything until you know they have a full season under their belt and until they really see where they can add to this team because I mean right now if you were to say you know we need another starting pitcher well I mean you can argue that th that that is correct but I think also you kind of need to wait a little bit to see who falls in the last three spots and who internally they decide to keep or to promote or to do anything like that so I think yeah it's it, it's probably going to be a quiet offseason I think that's probably going to be the right decision no matter where the Blue Jays finish in the standings but Next trade de deadline, next offseason, I think will definitely be a lot more active. Yeah, it's tough to see what direction the Blue Jays are going to take, but I think you do have clear needs. You know, the outfield is a weakness, and the bullpen is a weakness, and you don't really have prospects coming up in either of those places to fill it out in the future. So I think if we're looking at guys you want to fill out there, of course, extending Ken Giles or signing him if he ends up hitting the free agent market before you extend him. Um, in the outfield, one of the free agents... This offseason is going to be Jock Peterson of the Los Angeles Dodgers. Um, I think he fits the bill perfectly. He's a big bat that can help shore up the Blue Jays' offense, helps in the outfield. And, you know, he's relatively young. He's only 28. He hit 36 home runs last year. Um, he's the type of guy that I think the Blue Jays need. A, maybe a Jose Bautista-type guy, if you're looking for comparable big power outfielders who can shore up the offense and help in the outfield. I think that's one of the key guys. As far as relievers go, the market is kind of thin this offseason. The Blue Jays are generally pretty good at finding kind of diamonds in the rough, guys who aren't considered highly, guys like Anthony Bass, who turn out to be pretty good for the team. So um, 
I'm not too concerned about the free agent market there, and they can always trade for guys, but definitely Jock Peterson is a guy I want to see them pick up. And with that, we'll wrap up our episode for today. Thank you to everyone who listened, and thank you to everyone who submitted questions for today. Um, We may do another mailbag episode down the line, so to make sure you don't miss out on anything that we're doing, go ahead and follow us on social media at Section138Pod or on Instagram and Twitter. As always, it helps spread the word about our podcast if you just rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, so that's greatly appreciated. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Can't find the time to ride my mind.